Hey, welcome back to the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Yeah. Well, hey, you're about to listen to the Bitcoin Podcast announcements, and we got to tell you something. What's come to our attention, people didn't realize this, and we got to let you know, these are sponsored episodes, meaning that the participants that come on these episodes have paid to get access to you, and that's the way that works. So, featured on our network means that it's sponsored. So, um, we wanted to get that out in the open. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Here it is. Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. This is Lucian, and I'm here with Alex again from Celsius Network. Um, it's great hearing you, and I'm looking forward to an update. So what do you have for us, Alex? Well, a busy week here uh, in New York last week with Consensus. Uh, we announced uh, that Celsius Network is uh, um, has over $200 million now in deposit. That's, these are customer deposits, and we've... Uh, issued over 1.2 billion in uh, coin loans. Um, so it's uh, amazing achievements for about, for 10 months worth of uh, being live. Uh, and we're one of the few projects, uh, crypto projects that did an ICO that, that actually delivered on what we promised in our white paper and, and uh, delivering a valuable service to the community. Nice. Congratulations. That's uh, it's a big landmark to reach. And you said it's $1.6 billion in total. 1. 2, yeah. 1. 1. 1.2. 1.2. Um, so what is the duration or the maturity of those loans? How, uh, how long do people usually have outstanding loans on the platform? So, so we take coins from uh, mostly retail deposits. We have uh, 65,000 uh, or so downloads of, of the app from all over the world. Uh, but we lend them to institutions. So the borrowers, uh, the coin borrowers are not uh, retail users. They're mostly hedge funds and exchanges that either need to, uh, coins to create liquidity uh, or use the coins for uh, market making or uh, sometimes they go short and so on. So I would say most of the coin loans are uh, 30 days or less. Uh, some of the bigger institutions will borrow coins for three, maybe even six months period. Uh, but uh, most of the loans are short-term loans. That's, we've done over 100,000 uh, loans, so uh, you can do the math. It's pretty pretty... Uh, short duration loans. So we deploy the coins a lot of times, uh, again, which is good for the coin holders uh, because they couldn't do this themselves, right? I mean, if they wanted to kind of operate the service themselves, it would be extremely high friction and the overhead of managing all this would eat up any profits that they've managed to, to generate. The way we operate it is that and basically you just make a deposit, your coins earn a return, and at any time you can withdraw them or move them somewhere else. There's no lockup. So it's a win-win for the community because today uh, most of our customers uh, used to keep their coins on exchanges for free or in a cold wallet, 
not earning a return, right? The exchanges know how to make money from it, but uh, they don't share any of that income with the coin holders. So we're just doing a great service for the coin holders. And uh, your ability as a network to um, allow anyone to cash out their tokens anytime, is this, a, is this because of the ICO that you've done? So Do you basic, yeah. Yeah, so we they can withdraw them. We don't cash them out. So we, we don't buy and sell. Okay. Yeah, the only services we provide is lending and borrowing. Okay. Um, so they can... Uh, deposit the coins and earn interest. Okay. Or they can take uh, a dollar loan, and um, uh, basically, if they don't want to sell their coins, right? If they want to have, uh, um, they don't want to pay taxes. They don't want to have uh, any of the. Uh, then they can take a dollar loan against their or stable coin loan against their BTC or ETH or any of the other coins we support, and effectively. Uh, use that for their uh, to pay bills or anything else they need. Yeah, so <clears throat> I misspoke. There is some regulatory difference between cashing out your holdings versus withdrawing them uh, in a crypto to crypto exchange. Um, but what I was saying is that um, is the ICO uh, used for developing a treasury so that people have liquidity to be able to move out of positions that may or may not be currently borrowed by someone else, right? Because let's say if uh, you settle at the end of every week, right? But I can actually uh, withdraw my tokens into a different address in the middle of the week, right? So that means you kind of have to have some kind of liquidity buffer, in order to kind of match the uh, maturity of the loans versus the withdrawal of the depositors. Um, yeah, so we we have 18 different coins, so we can't really right. support all 18. So what, we, what we're doing is usually we don't deploy 100% of the coins. We keep uh, 5 to 10% in BitGo in a frictional account where those are just used for redemptions. Mm-hmm. So uh, the algorithm uh, looks at, okay, how much on average do we have from depositors? Uh, how much do we have with withdrawals? And based on that, it, it determines how much, how many, what percentage of the coins uh, can be deployed without us risking not being able to um, satisfy any withdrawal requests. So yeah. we don't have any large positions. I don't think we have any customers that are more than, um, you know, two or three percent of any position, so we don't have concentration, and because of that, uh, we don't have to worry. It's not like one depositor is fifty percent of our coins, and if they withdraw, we have to liquidate all of the positions, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we created it from the beginning to be. Uh, I mean, again, it's very similar to what banks do with dollars. It's just that again, banks don't pay us anything in return. Here, we give eighty percent of what we make back to the community, right? So if we if we earn 10%, we'll give back 8% to the coin holders. Right. But there's also the fact that you're over collateralized as opposed to fractionally reserved, which means right. that you kind of do have to charge higher interest rates to uh, make up for the and fact that you... Let's, 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 let's break that down. Sure. So the bank takes your money, right? Deposit right? your money. They pay you less than 1%. Okay. You turn around and lend it to your neighbor at 25% on their credit card. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, they don't need to do anything. I mean, they're stealing 24% from you. Okay. So 
So like the, the excuse that banks need this or that to collateral, look, they, they make, they keep 90 to 95% of the value that is created with your money. And the only reason they can get away with it is because there's no competition, mm-hmm. right? The five largest banks in the United States, now it's four because the two of them have merged, uh, hold close to 70% of all the assets, right? right? So there is no, they can pay you 7% without fractional reserve without any of the magic stuff that they do with your money, right? The return on assets for JP Morgan is 17%. Mm -hmm. You can take 7% or 8% and pay you back. They just don't have to, they don't want to, right? So so we all, we as a society just got used to the fact that banks don't pay us anything. And unfortunately we take it for granted. We continue to deposit money with them uh, just for the safety, even though they, make billions and billions uh, JP Morgan made 30 billion dollars last year in profit right they made it from our money they didn't make it from their money right so okay. it's uh so the reason that i mentioned it's um basically so if a loan is over collateralized by 150% and the interest earned by the average depositor for a stable coin is close to 7% then I assume that the interest rate has to be 150% of 7%. No, let's go through it. So, okay. so the interest rate has nothing to do with the collateralization. The interest rate has to do with demand and supply in the market. Okay. If the coin demand is low, then the interest rate will be 2 to 3% or 4%. Mm-hmm. If, the interest is high, if the interest for the coin borrowing is high, it will be 12%. Right, so the the interest rate has to do with supply and demand. Like when there is huge demand for this or that coin, and you will see the interest rate go up. You will see our rate fluctuate every week, up and down. It has nothing to do with collateralization. It has everything to do with supply and demand. Now, in theory, in theory, there would be less people willing to borrow it at at and provide collateral. But the profitability in the crypto space is so high, meaning. Uh, like just two weeks ago, whatever the the gap between Bitfinex and Coinbase in in the same price of BTC was seven point three percent all day long. You could borrow coins for Celsius, buy them on um, uh, Coinbase and sell them on Bitfinex, and make seven percent instantly, not per year, instantly. Like so, the fast as fast as you can move the money, as just as fast you can. If you can do two transactions per month, moving money around, you'll make fourteen percent. Right, where Celsius only charges you whatever, let's say nine percent or ten percent per year. So right. all these I mean, guys, so for considering these kind of returns, uh, the fact that we're asking for collateral it means nothing. That, that's not the expensive part. Now banks, banks have a different. Most of what banks lend is un, non-collateralized, right? I mean, your mortgage is really yes, it's backed by real estate, but it's not really fully collateralized. Your credit card debt is not collateralized. Your student loans are not collateralized. So they need fractional reserves because they need to, they want to make even more money, right? They want to leverage 10 to 1 and make, instead of 24% on your credit card, they want to make 240% because they can lend that dollar 10 times and really still not give you anything back, right? Mm-hmm. So, so again... Our financial institutions are not acting in our best interest. We can say that clearly, right? I don't think anyone would dispute that. No one can go and look at their bank 
and say, wow, you're really acting in my best interest. You're doing everything for me. And, mm-hmm. and what we need, Satoshi's dream, is to create an alternative institution that is acting in our best interest. Bitcoin and Ethereum definitely act in your best interest um, because they're deflationary, because they are doing all this other stuff that we're not doing with fiat currencies. So um, I want to bring it back a little bit to your example of Bitfinex, because a lot of projects in crypto aren't risk-free, in my opinion. Um, Do you currently have Tether listed on your platform? We don't. We we don't. We're not believers in uh, Tether. I mean, uh, and are you familiar with uh, Tether's connection to Bitfinex and the recent uh, financial regulatory um, investigation that has been opened against them? Yes, of course. I mean, uh, it's, it's been uh, all over the news. I mean, look, we we again, we're not uh, partners with Bitfinex or Binance. Or- yeah, it's it's just the example. It's the example that like arbitrage like pure arbitrage in crypto is um is dependent on like the actual underlying protocol so to say right like yes ethereum and bitcoin they're secured by um the cryptography and the miners and the participants in the system and the networks um but when you actually uh, you have to make judgments like against Tether, for example, and you have to make judgments on the security because you regulators ha- aren't even close to catching up. So it's uh, the uh, profitability of current crypto investments is mainly because um, regular institutional investors still aren't fully uh, comfortable with the novelty of the technology, especially when it comes to money, where people are truly conservative right there's still people arguing that gold is the only real form of currency even though we're in 2019 and um this kind of um reticence is uh kind of like it's difficult for our listeners to understand because especially the type of people that i've spoken to about um, our previous interview are basically experimenting in arbitrage trading using decentralized exchanges. They're uh, taking advantage of smart contract arbitrage uh, mechanisms. And by the way, some of them have actually uh, opened accounts and we've spoken about their experience with uh, Celsius Network. And basically the, the niche that I've noticed is the fact that you kind of bridge the gap between the complicated technical aspects of crypto lending, right, which is almost exclusively within the Ethereum ecosystem. Um, and then you're bringing it to multiple coins, multiple stable coins, and um, you're also making it with the user interface that's simple enough to actually onboard people, almost comparable to like the ease of onboarding of uh, Coinbase, which is basically like the standard of the simplest way to basically get someone who doesn't understand the underlying technology to be able to interact with it. And um, have I kind of like nailed the niche, the what you're going for? You're going for like really easy to use um, a crypto product that is basically like 
Coinbase, but with actual utility, putting your money to work as opposed to simply speculating and holding. Is that like kind of well, accurate? I wouldn't call it a niche. I think the lending and borrowing business is a uh, hundred times bigger than the trading business. So the Coinbase is the niche and the lending yeah. is the real business. Uh, what I'm mm -hmm. saying is that anyone who thinks that uh, Binance or Coinbase are the future of cryptocurrencies doesn't understand how financial markets work. And, and so onboarding uh, uh, people into crypto is a one-time event, right? Mm -hmm. A person may buy coins once, but they're going to they're gonna need loans or they're going to want to earn interest for the rest of their life. So, so the, the lending business or the borrowing business, again, is 100 times bigger than all the exchanges put together, right? So, so uh, we're not in the niche business. We're in the business of convincing everybody on the planet, convincing seven and a half billion people that they don't have a chance, they don't have a future if they continue depositing money with their banks. And the right. only chance they have to create value for themselves and for their kids mm -hmm. and have a financial future is if they adopt a, a system that acts in their best interest. The banks will never act in their best interest. Our banks will never pay them fair, fair interest. So we're convincing people to stop depositing money with banks and deposit it with us so they can earn a return. Earning 7 8% per year is unheard of. It's, again, seven or eight times more than what any bank pays. And it's done, like you said, with negative leverage, meaning we are safer than any financial institution, not more risky than any financial institution. So... Remember, we have to bail out all these banks every 10 or 15 years. So the risk that any of the big bank fails is just as high as any of these exchanges fail, right? So the question is, um, you know, are we doing this for uh, profit? Are we doing this for the community? And our model is very similar to WhatsApp or Costco or Amazon, where we're trying to build a large community, do everything for them, and we benefit because the large community creates a lot of value and the company then is very valuable. So we're going to do good first and then we're going to do well, right? So the opportunity on the, on the boring side is, again, that, that most of the people on the planet do not have access to credit. We live in the United States and we think that everybody can get a credit card or go and get a student loan or, or a business loan or whatever. But the reality is that for most people on the planet, that's not a possibility. They don't have a single credit card in their pocket, right? And like, for example, half of the people in India don't have a checking account at all. They don't have a bank account. So, so we're, we're talking about things that we take for granted where the rest of the world you know, is going to leapfrog beyond the checking account, beyond the saving accounts into a crypto account. And, and we have customers from over 120 countries that trust us with their um, um, hard-earned money, right? They're trusting us to generate this yield on their behalf so they can take basically, so their money works for them instead of them just working for their money. So we're not, like most of the people that use DeFi or, or whatever are, are in, you know, sophisticated guys or pretty technical who understand what, how smart contract works and so on. Most of our customers don't understand what Bitcoin is. Forget about smart contract, right? Yeah. So what they, what they're, they know that there's something here and they're just looking for the trusted party where they can 
entrust the few coins they have or fractions of a coin and to earn yield and keep the coins in a safe place. A lot of people that thought Binance was a safe place found out that it's not so safe, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's why we use BitGo, for example. BitGo's never got hacked. And if you want to try to use BitGo yourself, it's going to cost you a few thousand dollars a month. But mm -hmm. we're effectively subsidizing it for all of our customers by providing that service for free. So mm -hmm. we, we, we think the first wave of, uh, of um, crypto was all about exchanges and, and so on. But the second wave is going to be about utilities. What is the utility that this global network provides? Mm -hmm. The killer app, the Netscape moment, is lending and borrowing. That's yep. why we focused on it. Yeah, so when I said niche... Um, I was referring more to product market fit as opposed to like limiting the potential market size. Um, but, but it's important. The reason there was... I'm saying that is because it's important for millions of millions. I mean, look, if all, all of us uh, just shuffle coins with each other, nothing's right. going to happen to this community. So right. it's very important to find the application, no matter what you call it, that's going to bring a billion people into this industry. Right. Yeah, so I've 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 personally worked in the microfinance industry before. And um, as much as the crypto community likes to uh, talk down lending institutions, the only thing worse than um, than banks is not having access to finance. Right. So like you need lending. It's actually a form of money being able to borrow and access to credit is a form of um, basic development. And um, I actually saw microfinance essentially fail. Um, essentially, it wasn't technologically advanced enough. It wasn't efficient enough uh, to actually onboard consumers, people in rural areas, small farmers uh, who are far away from um, lending institutions and that deal mostly in cash can't be onboarded into a banking system that flat out doesn't trust them. And I, I definitely see the potential for um, a crypto lending platform to kind of bridge the gap because you don't need cash. You don't need to be close to a bank to be able to interact with the network. And the same way cell phones essentially uh, allowed certain countries to leapfrog over landlines maybe crypto lending will do the same thing for um, physical cash payments and uh, micro lending and be able to extend the reach um, in a sense. And I mean, in the end, it comes down to what people define as money, right? And this is probably why you get so much slack from the Bitcoin community specifically, because a lot of people in the Bitcoin community are uh, following the monetarist school of economics in which they believe in gold and solid uh, fixed um, or deflationary uh, currencies, fixed supply or deflationary in currencies, and any kind of manipulation of lending rates or any kind of um, fractional reserve systems is kind of like breaking the old traditional method of what money actually is. But money has actually been debt for most of human history. And definitely in modern society, you can't actually separate money and debt because we actually measure money as the total value of um, 
money that is actually in people's accounts, which includes money that is has been borrowed by someone else, right? So there's different, like, there's M1 physical cash tokens, but there's M2. No one really uses M1 as the actual measurement of the uh, capital supply of a country, right? They measure like the total number of um, outstanding debts, total bank deposits, um, short-term um, liquidity facilities, right? Like having access to cash is very similar to um, short-term borrowing. And yeah, it's definitely a step that the crypto community has started to take. And I feel like the Ethereum community is a little bit more ahead of the curve than the Bitcoin community. Um, well, they serve, they serve different purposes, right? I think, I think Bitcoin is, uh, like you said, doomsday safety plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the purists who are holding Bitcoin because they're, uh, they're afraid that every fiat currency is going to blow up. Mm-hmm. Don't think it needs fixing or changing or whatever. So, um, you know, like so, I, I don't see a lot of people complaining about earning uh, six or seven percent on their Bitcoin. You know, like if most of our customers thank me every Monday morning for putting more coins in their wallet, right? So, so I think the the Ethereum is more of a again programmable money, smart money, mm-hmm. and um, and you know. We are yet to figure out what is the killer app for it, right? I mean, we tried right. things. <clears throat> we tried the ICO. We tried the all kind of different things, but we don't really have a killer app for a programmable money yet, right? So I, I think the killer app is stable coins, real stable mm-hmm. coins, not like USDT, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, like USD. DAI, USDC, Gemini. DAI is not a stable coin. So let's put it, DAI is a... Is a coin that has reserves, but it's right. not pegged to something that is stable, right? I mean, it's 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 pegged to something that is extremely volatile, like like Ethereum. So, right. well, what the a stable coin is for me? The definition is is it's pegged to something very stable, like gold or silver or a stable fiat currency, mm-hmm. right? The minute, the minute you peg it against, uh, and you know, and, and that's. Look, we have DAI listed in our wallet. Yeah, I was about to say. And and so we are supporters of DAI. We're not kind of saying DAI is bad at all, but DAI is, is too young to have proven itself to be stable. Right. So They also so, have a huge amount of Ether locked up in its smart contract. I think they passed um, the 200,000 mark. Right. So the, 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 for people that come to our platform and say, okay, what should we do? We tell them, look, there's there's a whole spectrum of very very safe, like stable coins, all the way to very very risky, which is mm-hmm. old coins and so on, right? And a lot in between, like so, like Bitcoin and Ethereum and so on. So we don't choose for our customers. They, they we don't sell any of these assets, so they can't buy them from us. They already have to have them. We mm-hmm. just generate a return on something that is usually an idle asset or something that other people are taking advantage of like like for example dash you know we got you know millions and millions of dollars of deposits of dash because people realized that when they buy it and they keep it on an exchange they can't stake it because they don't have eighty thousand dollars worth of dash to put a node mm-hmm. the exchanges stake it for them right so the exchanges collect seven percent they just never uh they 
they never bothered to give any of that back to the community. So, so again, we provide the staking service for free. We provide the custody service for free because we want all these people to benefit. So when you say you provide the staking service for free, the only two tokens that I know that currently have um, active revenue from staking, I'm not familiar with Dash, I'm again from the Ethereum ecosystem, um, is Tezos and uh, Cosmos. And they're currently live mainnet with staking. Um, so do you offer those coins and do you actually offer return for leaving them on your platform? So those, those, both of those are going to go live uh, in the next uh, three to four weeks. Also EOS and Decred and uh, a few others. So the, all those are uh, coins that yield uh, returns. Okay. And, um, but, and again, they, they, anyone can do it. I mean, you don't, you don't need Celsius. The problem is that for many of these coins, you need a certain amount and you need to know what you're doing and you need to spin nodes and you need to know how to be part of the network and vote for the right stuff. And you might get slashed if uh, your network goes down. So you actually need constant uptime and maintenance. Um, I, I want to be able to go on vacation and not worry that my I have to reset my internet router. Right, because if you don't get paid, if you don't, if you're not, uh, uh, you know, if you're not staking, you're, you're not going to get paid. So right. Um, so, so I have another question about staking. I've been curious about this more generally. You can't really use Bitco as a custody solution if you're staking, right? Yes, you can. The staking function and the custody function in, for most coins are separate functions. It's not the same function. Uh, so you can kind of delegate, um, yeah. okay, the right to stake. Okay, got it. Yeah. I mean, the world is to keep the, all of these coins on the, in the safest environment. Right. And stake at the same time, right? Which is which is what we provide. So, um, so you know, like again, most of the industry is full of uh, toll collectors, right? I mean, if you think of Coinbase or Binance or any of these guys, right? Their job is to create as much profit for themselves as possible, right? Mm -hmm. They're not they're competing with each other. One guy's charging five percent for the credit card. One guy charges three percent for the credit card. But some of them charge seven percent. Like I mean, it's just uh, again daytime robbery, right? Yeah, rent seeking, another way to put it. Yeah, they're 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 not any different than your bank uh charging you fees on the way in, on the way out, and, and while you're staying there and sitting with the, with your coins, right? I mean, most people don't understand how they lose money on it because they don't understand how the stuff works. So and and we're not doing it because they are bad and we're trying to be good. We're doing mm -hmm. this because there's no way to add the next billion people if you don't give them a utility that they need. And we're again, I'm saying that lending and borrowing is the utility. Lending and borrowing <laughs> is what the biggest utility that all these people can use um, to. So this brings a, this brings a listener question that I had before, and it was specifically whether you plan on introducing a referral uh, type system. Um, similar to the referral system of Binance or um, I can't think of any at this moment, but the idea being like, actually Coinbase has one too, um, because our my uh, listener basically told me that he wants, this is the type of uh, explanation that he could actually present to his mother. And he wants basically to give her a referral link because 
I mean, he is onboarding her. <laughs> is there any plan for doing this? It, it definitely helped yeah, certain we, platforms. We we have it in our in our app. So if you download the app and register and so on, when you go to your profile, you can generate a unique link that uh, and invite all, any of your friends or, or or family to basically participate in the platform. And you will get the reward for for bringing people into it, right? I mean, the whole point is to um, is to enlarge the community. We also have a service called CellPay that allows you to send coins to people even though they don't have a wallet, right? So, so they're like, SMS, right? They're right. SMS numbers. Uh, WhatsApp, and so on. So any does any- that require them to download the app and create an account to access yeah, the funds? Yeah, works, works Venmo or, or it works exactly the same way like any of the other services, but. Okay. Again, here there's a lot of friction to bring people into the community because they don't know what the private key is. They don't know what a wallet right. is. For them, it's very difficult. They don't. There's so many scammers in the business that they don't know who to trust. Right. So we try to create a, a safe and secure environment. And again, we have millions of dollars that have been transferred uh-huh. uh, using the cell pay service. Um, and it's one of the most efficient, effective ways to bring new people into the community because it, it hides all that complexity from them, right? It, it already pre-provisions a wallet for them. The money is already in the wallet. They can transfer it out two seconds mm-hmm. later. At least they know that they're, they're receiving something or they're using something that is uh, clean and, 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 right. and just to clarify, the recipients also have to follow the KYC uh, process in order to be able to access the deposited funds, right? Yeah, so look, KYC email is is for we we, we view that as a kind of man, mandatory function. We're not mm-hmm. doing it uh, because the banks do it. We do it because the government's uh, mandate that uh, that's what you have to do. Because the whole point is to make sure that you don't have any bad apples, and you know that's gonna shut down the service for everybody else. So we're trying. We always try to uh, make sure that we provide the best service to all of our users and we protect them from the bad elements out there. Okay. And uh, another listener question was in reference to whether there's a functionality to export the, um, a list of the interest payments so that we could report it to tax, right? So every interest payment is a, a taxable event. We get one a week. Um, if someone has multiple tokens on your platform, combined with the fact that each of the transactions happens on a weekly basis, um, we were wondering if there was an easy way to kind of export this in a, I don't know, accountant-friendly or even an Excel-friendly type of way so it could help us keep track, uh, essentially, of these types of payments. Yeah, so so we, for Americans, we issue a 1099. And- okay. Which, which provides all that information. So uh, that's one of the reasons we're asking for a social security number and everything else, because we need to uh, provide all that information uh, by law. Mm-hmm. Um, for foreign uh, uh, users, um, there is, I think there is a function that summarizes how much you earn to date. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's a good idea to probably export it as a uh, you know, CVS or something like that to make it, easy to maintain but from a tax standpoint all you you're not taxed actually until you withdraw those funds it's it acts right. more like, um, 
um, like only if you sell it or you transact with it. Mm-hmm. So you have to report income. Right. Which, so you, you have to realize the gains in order to actually uh, turn it into a taxable event, basically. Right. Okay. Nice. And um, yeah, it's it's been interesting. I've gotten to listen to um, a couple of our listeners explain to me like their experience um, onboarding into the platform. Um, I did notice that there was a bit of a difference between the onboarding experience on an Android and an iPhone. Um, I have noticed that the iPhone experience is basically completely smooth, while um, the Android experience that some of my colleagues faced, for example, one of our listeners, um, his uh, KYC information wasn't properly, uh, he wasn't accepted because the picture was too blurry, but he did the same thing on an iPhone and it went through. So... um, yeah, it's interesting uh, basically hearing how, um, <clears throat> despite the fact that, like, it's you to onboard someone, you basically have to go through as much of a process as, like, a Coinbase or um, Poloniex. Um, it's interesting that, like, the people that I've heard and listened through their experience walking through this process, um, the explanations, the pop-ups, the alerts, the messages, the friction that's created is actually like exactly what I would tell someone while they're onboarding to, right? So thanks for all of the alerts, the pop-ups, like explaining that this isn't a bank account, explaining how uh, deposits work, how the accounts work, um, what the codes mean. It's like the walkthroughs in those little animal animated pop-ups in the windows are actually like a great part of uh, of the onboarding experience because it saves me from having to explain the security implications to new people that I'm onboarding. Um, so yeah, thanks, thanks for that. Urban, we've, we've also added the, the community functions. So if you look at the main menu, mm-hmm. there's the community button, and in our in there, um, we are uh, disclosing everything the community does. How many members? Uh, how much do do you have, do they have on deposit? Are they adding deposits? Are they withdrawing stuff? Because part of this is not just uh, you and versus Celsius. Part of this is also knowing uh, that the community is healthy and growing because you don't want to be the last guy left on the Celsius network, right? Mm-hmm. So, so we wanted to make sure that uh, we're fully transparent that we share with everybody the information of uh, how much we earned, who got it, and, and things like that. So so everybody can feel comfortable that, and, you know, they're not the biggest fish swimming in a small pond, you know, like, because this only works if all of us act together, right? And every coin that's deposited with Celsius is one less coin available to the exchanges, which makes them borrow from us. So we basically taking something that they're getting for free and making sure that they pay us for that service, right? So it's so the faster we grow, the more assets we add, the more pressure we're putting on hedge funds and exchanges to pay us higher tolls uh, for using our money for free. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and again, it's the same, same thing that we want to do with banks. It's just much harder to put a dent on JP Morgan and their balance sheet than it is to, for example, put a dent on Ethereum or 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 Bitcoin or whatever. So 
Um, so I think we're one of the largest players now. Um, and it's great to be able to basically um, raise the rates. Like we, last few weeks, we raised rates on a few coins because we could, right? There was a lot of demand. There was a lot of volatility in the market. And we earned more for our community uh, on behalf of all these 65,000 people who didn't have to do anything, right? They just woke up in the morning on Monday and so that they got more interest than the week before. And uh, and that's how it should work, right? Yeah. I don't think any, I don't think the bank kind of calls and say, "Hey, we did a great job for ourselves. Here's a piece of it," you know. <laughs> so banks do a great job for their uh, shareholders, right? They give most of the profits to the shareholders in, to- in terms of dividends and and stock buybacks. They don't do almost anything for the depositors. And uh, all we did with Celsius Network is really create an organization that only focuses on the depositors and not on the shareholders. I'm the largest shareholder of Celsius, so it's easy to, you know, this is a conversation I'm having with myself, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and um, it's interesting to see the network grow and what you're doing in order to increase the transparency. That was the first time I saw the community link, and uh, I think it's definitely interesting. So 5,808 members are depositing. And also the cell pay functionality is pretty interesting. There's 763,000, 64,000, if I round up, um, dollars sent with cell pay. And basically the reason, would people use cell pay uh, for any other reason than onboarding? Or would someone just deposit from one account to another? No, no. I mean, the whole point is that, like, if I if we we share a taxi and I, have to, I owe you twenty bucks, I can instantly send you twenty bucks with any of the coins that I want. I can send you Ethereum or Bitcoin or okay, right. So it it's a it's a form of payment that is instant and it bypasses all of the local laws and restrictions and things like that because it goes through the blockchain, right? So it's it, okay. it's not processed by Visa or MasterCard, you know, so uh, which is a huge advantage. And uh, but I wanted to add one more thing for transparency. So, sure. and, you know, the, the again, the banks and even the exchanges you mentioned, uh, we have to rely on them to tell us the truth. We have to rely on them to uh, hopefully not go under. Uh, but one one more thing that Celsius does, which comes later this year, is is we will be uh, creating a uh, writing all of our transactions into an open blockchain. So you anyone besides seeing what we're saying on our community page can also audit us, real time audit function where uh, you can go to the blockchain, uh, look at how much we got in deposits, how many loans we issued, how much interest we collected, did we actually give it to all of our members. How many members? So all that stuff, uh, we hope to be the first fully transparent institution that, um, that again, acts in the best interest of its community. And that, that, that should set the standard for any future followers because, um, you know, again, if we want to replace the banks and we want to make sure they don't go blow up every 10 or 15 years, we have to be fully transparent. Agreed. Yeah. I agree, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing progress on that. So um, it was another great discussion with you. And is there anything else that you would have liked me to ask that I didn't have a chance to? 
Well, you know, so I have a unique experience with voice over IP, you know, like bringing voice over IP to the world, you know, three and, mm -hmm. three and a half billion people use it every day. So we went from $3 a minute but charged to us by AT&T or some other phone companies to free. And okay. So now we're going from VoIP to MoIP, money over IP, right? And, and all I'm saying is that your listeners really need to understand that right now they're saying, ah, no one's going to break down the banks. And that's exactly what I heard back in the 80s and 90s where everybody told me, you can't take on the phone companies. They're the most powerful, profitable companies in the world. So mm -hmm. if we all get together and if we all work on this, we will bring down the banks. And bring down the banks meaning not in a bad way, but meaning we will get, we'll create or force these institutions to act in our best interest, right? And, and that's all I'm asking for. I'm not, I'm not anti-bank. I'm just uh, anti taking advantage of the small guy. And, and, and so for us to be successful, every listener has to go and bring 10 people into crypto. Again, you can do it by educating your, your friends or you can use cell pay or you can, or you can do whatever you want. You can go to conferences, but uh, you have to do something. If you don't do anything about it, don't sit there and complain that uh, the banks are alive or they're, you know, you don't have an opportunity or whatever. So, so it's a call to action to your listeners to really uh, take some responsibility and be part of this movement to make, you know, make it better for everybody. Nice. Great. Uh, so we'll end with that. It was great talking to you and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Yeah. Sure. Thanks for Looking the time. Looking forward to future and... updates. Yes. Enjoy your morning. Take care. Take care.